Welcome to Neuromovement Revolution with Anat Benyel, where you will discover breakthrough possibilities for your life through the brain's power to change. We're so happy that you can join us in making the impossible possible. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of our podcast series. Congratulations. Good morning, everyone. And I'm so happy to be back doing our podcast. Absolutely. Me too. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing me good. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the first episode this morning will be uh, on the topic of very um, subtlety. Yes. Essential for subtlety um, for positive brain change. So, Anat, over to you. Okay. So, first, I would like to ask uh, those of you who are uh, live with us this morning, uh, have you had a chance to practice, to explore the first three essentials? And let me remind you, movement with attention and variation, right? We did variation already? Yes, and slow. And slow, yeah. So you can type in. I think I'm seeing things being typed yes, in here. Yes, at the moment I'm getting good morning greetings and uh, you know people Great. telling us where they're coming from. Oh, wonderful. Why don't you tell we us? We have Boulder, Colorado. Uh-huh. We have uh, Karen Toth from Kitchener in Ontario, near Ontario. Hi, Karen. And, yes, mm -hmm. and comments, I love these podcasts. So wonderful. thank you for joining. <clears throat> All right. So uh, anyone? Uh, um, uh, Anyone, of course, it can also be practitioners if uh, you got inspired to even use the essentials more, but mostly it's for parents, caretakers, and perhaps if we have physical therapists or occupational therapists that are also exploring using some of these essentials in their practice. So, so let us know, and as I see things hopping, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody... I have a comment. Slow from SAS. I imagine that, that may be Saskatoon. I don't know. Um, that is Elon Moliner, and uh, still we've got highs from uh, various people. We've got hi from New York, from Verena Kurtz, and from Ohio, Jennifer Riggs, and another one from New York. So okay, so so maybe uh, I'll I'll go into the the fourth uh, essential, and I would love to know if any if you guys have been uh, using or trying to explore and experiment with the the essentials and how it's going for you. And the, are you observing changes in yourself first, but in your child? So let's go now uh, to the next essential, which is uh, subtlety. Subtlety fundamentally means reduction of force or reduction of intensity, of, of effort. And... Uh, to make sense out of this essential, it's again important to remember uh, the, how a certain aspect of how the brain works. And to remember what we talked about in, uh, before is that the brain is an information system. It's not a mechanical system. That means <clears throat> it operates on different rules that we are used to and experience on a daily basis through our uh, um, bodies. So uh, the, the brain gets its information through 
uh, stimulation, but stimulation by itself is not enough. In order to make uh, uh, turn the stimulation into information or, uh, or useful input, uh, there needs to be perception of differences. That means I have to perceive a bigger, smaller, stronger, weaker, more forward, more backwards. I say good morning to somebody in one tone of voice, I get one reaction. I say it in another tone of voice, uh, it's another reaction. I don't say it at all, it's a third reaction. Something, for example, that many children on the autism spectrum are known to have difficulty with. So what we really want to do in our process, in our attempt to get the brain to upgrade the quality with which it works so it can find new solutions for the challenges that the child has. So it can be what we would call physical you know, challenges, meaning we see it in the body and in the movement of the body. And, and uh, so that can be with any condition, but very typical for spastic cerebral palsy, uh, strokes, uh, certain genetic conditions. Um, the, so for the child to be able to figure out what to do with the different parts of the body at any given moment to get a specific outcome, like standing upright, or being able to reach a toy, hold it and bring it to the mouth, the brain has to notice what's going on on a kinesthetic level and on other levels. So the same thing we do with vision, we do it also cognitively. People, it's hard to grasp thinking, you know, it seems to be this, you know, a diffuse thing, but actually thinking is depends, the ability to think, to formulate ideas, to make sense, ideationally, to make sense of stuff. We have to perceive differences and see relationships within the parts, same thing emotionally. So always to remember that we are looking to up the ability of the brain to do its own job well. Rather than try to drill an outcome over and over in the child, first and foremost, through what we do with the child, can be on a daily basis, dressing, feeding, playing, getting into the car, out of the car, or through direct intervention, like in sessions, the private sessions that we give children. The underlying purpose for me and what I'm, I and I, my practitioners are is to actually upgrade the quality with which the brain works in order for that brain to be able to figure out how to organize sitting or speaking or any other action or function despite the very real challenges, the very real issues. And subtlety, now we can, can put subtlety here, subtlety reduction of intensity of stimulation, reduction of the force with which we do something immediately uh, upgrades the sensitivity of the system, its ability to perceive differences. So, for example, I'll just give a, a couple examples that are not directly related to the child. You walk out in broad daylight in the summer and somebody behind you turns on a, a flashlight you won't notice the difference. You won't react to it because the amount of in added stimulation 
with a flashlight compared to bright daylight is not enough to give the threshold for the brain to notice that something has changed in the light, in the vision part of things. However, if it's a, a nighttime and you walk down the street and all of a sudden a flashlight is turned on, most likely you will be jolted. You'll be actually probably jump, right? The sense of danger or, or alarm that may come up. Uh, uh, so and it's the same flashlight and it's the same you but, but when the background stimulation is so much reduced a little bit of light is perceived very easily when we understand that and we take that very seriously there is so much we can do right away to up anyone's performance anyone's ability to learn because in order to learn something in order to do something new <clears throat> the brain needs information and it needs new information with which to do to hopefully configure something different than it had before and something valuable and in order to get into that we also have to contend with first of all the mechanical experiences we've had throughout life where when we use more force very often we get more outcome. You're trying to move a box. It's, uh, I don't know, UPS delivered a box it's in front of your door. It just happened to me a few days ago. And I see a box and I'm kind of about to move it, right, to pick it up. And my anticipation of the weight was completely inaccurate and it was a lot heavier. So I said, and I, I couldn't. So I, I, I stopped and then I geared myself for a lot more weight and then I could lift it. So I used more force and it worked. Uh, you talk to someone and they don't hear you, you intensify, you make your voice louder, they can hear you, you get an outcome. How many of us have raised our voice when we had an argument with someone uh, hoping to get through to them by being louder, which probably didn't work too well? Or a better example is, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, that uh, uh, you ask for, you're in a foreign place and you ask somebody to help you with instructions and you don't understand what they're talking about and they talk to you louder and louder and louder. So, so and obviously that does not make you understand anything better. What actually will works really powerfully is to reduce the intensity of stimulation to slow down, which we've already done, done with you, and give the brain a chance to start noticing basically what's going on. So um, I wonder if anybody has any questions or comments about that already. We have because some, I'd uh, like to use comments. The, absolutely, comments and questions. Um, and some people also um, mentioning how they've been trying to employ the other essentials as well. Well. So um, let's go first regard, to the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Subtlety. Uh, subtlety. Absolutely. Yes. So Kavita from London. Hello, Kavita. Uh, she says, I've experimented with changing tone of voice and have noticed an increase in my son's engagement when I whisper. He really focuses even more. Great tips in that as I picked this up from, I think, one of your workshops online. And then I noticed that she'd actually added an extra question. Any other tips you can give other than talking to my baby to encourage some babbling and vocal sounds from him? Okay, so the name is... Kavita. Kavita. Well, first thing from what you said, and uh, 
you know, this is something that I have learned to really understand more, more profoundly over the past, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years, is that no matter how evolved we get and how much some people, for instance, really like what I say in the book and elsewhere, and, and really buy in, and then when it comes to our own child, it's like very often we sort of drop it. So when you say, how can I encourage my child to do more babbling and vocalizing, or I don't, I, I apologize, I don't remember your exact words. Encouraging some babbling and vocal sounds. And vocal you. sounds, basically, yeah. So a, I would like to refer you back to the, um, and everybody really, I think that's one that needs to be re-listened to probably every two weeks in the beginning and then every four weeks, <laughs> is from fixing to connecting. Because behind it, the, the, absolutely we want your baby to babble and vocalize and figure out how to, you know, eventually language. Absolutely. It's not that it's not a highly desirable thing. It's just that I don't know how to encourage a child to do it. I don't even think a child needs to be encouraged to do it. This is something that needs to occur spontaneously from within your child. So what we can, so when you interact with a child, observe the child. So you've already done that and you've done, sounds to me, a perfect job where you whisper, they're more attentive and they start responding more fully or they start vocalizing a bit more or a lot more. Um, this is an internal practice. This is really why I say that it's really personal evolution. It's, it's moving towards us being more enlightened is that do these things with your child not to try to evoke a specific outcome because we have no control of specific outcomes. We can't make anybody learn anything specific at a specific moment. The thing that we can do is create conditions where it's more likely that they will spontaneously do it. So you have found the correlation between whispering and your child making more sounds. And, and, and Actually, uh, she said being more attentive. She didn't say specifically. Oh, making more, more sounds. sounds. So sorry, being more attentive. But being attentive is the basis for any learning. This is the very, very, very first essential is movement with attention to the feeling of self. And, and babies are incredibly attentive. And young children, they're incredibly attentive. Uh, anyway, there's a little story I could tell you in a minute. But so what I'd like you to do is employ the essentials and observe what happens. Employ the essentials and observe what happens and become a better, more refined observer so that when there are changes, you can dance with them. So, you know, your child makes a little sound. You can respond with a similar sound gently, just, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> just like in a normal converse <coughs> conversation. Children begin vocalizing hugely more as they begin moving more. And, and there's no, again, there's no direct cause and effect but it's, the, the evolution happens to happen par parallel. 
So the more your child's brain gets differentiated and the more that your child can sense what they're doing and the more the brain develops more, you know, um, combinations of movement and so on, the more likely language is to be or vocalization. So observe what happens, but don't try to do the essential to get a specific outcome. Uh, I train people, you know, very, very consistently over a long time to really not do that because that's where we get stuck. That's where I believe when we try to make a child sit because they're a certain age and we try to encourage them to, you know, it's again, if you could, you would, if she, so we want to develop a brain that grows and evolves to a point where it starts doing what other brains do, which is children develop language. I hope that's helpful. Okay, uh, we have a couple more uh, questions and comments. Uh, we have uh, Karen Nichols here. Hi from Texas. She says, very new to this. She has a granddaughter who's eight months old. She gets lots of therapy. I took her to therapy on Friday and she cried for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. My daughter usually takes her. So I went looking for another option. Well, so Karen, grandmother, congratulations. <laughs> I'm so happy you're on. I mean, you, you just tell me this and I feel like crying myself. This is so, so... Now, babies cry. I mean, babies cry. It's not like we a happy baby will never cry. Actually, there is research that shows that it was very interesting. I don't know where I put it, but they, they, they did the research on how much babies cry and they found that babies on... I mean, not when they have real issues like pain and stuff like that, but babies uh, cry about the same amount of time. All babies. It looks like it's part of their development. They actually, mm. it was very fascinating. I didn't like reading no. it because no. I well, didn't want to hear that. But, <laughs> but when we think about it for a moment, it makes sense. Babies cry a certain amount. And babies that don't cry, actually, it's a very, very serious situation. So... You know, however, given that, and we don't have to go like crazy if a child cries a bit, crying 45 minutes in, in, in an interactive situation with a, an adult that is trying to, to, you know, is interacting, trying to get the child to perform certain things, I, the, I'm, I just think it's terrible. I because obviously I don't know what was happening there. I have no idea. But the child, an eight months old, can't do anything but cry. And and what happens is, but they still learn because they learn their experience. So uh, um, we we encounter a lot children that come to us. Actually, we just had the the last uh, month an eight month old that came to us that cries all the time. But he's not unwell all the time. But the moment he feels that somebody's going to expect anything of him, he's going to cry. And then we had a slightly older child in Canada, a year and a half old. Mm -hmm. He's fine as long as he's with a mother or with a caretaker he knows for a long time. And nobody is putting any demand on him. Zero demand. Brilliant child. Very limited in his ability to move and express himself but very intelligent. Clearly, I mean, we also had interactions with him. He's very clear and intelligent. 
he is so good and noticing the slightest shift in his one condition where he feels safe. So what we do when we get that is we work with two things. We work with a child in the sense that we don't, I won't work, work with a child that's crying. I'm not going to try and make them move and sit and this. I mean, their brain is not available to learn. Their brain is in alert, alert, alarm, alarm. I'm about to die. doesn't matter that it's not real for the child. When they get into that state, they are screaming for help and change to feel safe again, to feel well again. But the child is habituated to doing it. So we need to make some space where the child can actually notice that he, they're fine. He or she are fine. So we, very often a lot of the work is with the parents where the parents calm down and we get an opening where the child gets takes interest. So, for example, where we were in Canada, we did it, you know, in a group, doesn't matter the details right now. And what we, what I, the solution I found is to have the parents, both mother and father, really close to him. So he knew he was safe. He had everything he needed. And we just stood around and talked and we put on music and and he, he started noticing that it wasn't that he was fine, but it wasn't happening anyway. I won't go into all of it. It was kind of funny and not easy because we are built to want to respond to a crying child. But he, he calmed down, he started paying attention to this person was talking, that person was talking, he got some interest, so, so his whole brain shifted. And spontaneously after that, for the first time, he grabbed to hold a bottle and bring it to his mouth. And he's a year and a half old. And we didn't train him how to hold a bottle. So that's a long answer, but I know there's a, everybody deals with it. I would recommend, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I just say that, Maybe you want to try, where is she from? There uh, in Texas. But I was, I was going to say, Karen, I mean, you are, this is your probably your first experience hearing anything about the work. So first of all, go back and listen to the podcast on From idea. Fixing to Connecting. And if possible, get the book, Kids Beyond Limits. You can get it on Amazon. And I think just from what I hear from your couple of comments here, It'll really resonate with you. And then seek out a practitioner near you. Well, the, the parents have to be on board. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, if, yeah. If, you, if, parents... you're, if you're informed, you will have you know, more, more to be able to, to share with the parents. Yeah, and I'm sure the parent, the mom or whoever takes her hates it too. I, I'm actually sure the therapist hates it too. It's awful for everybody. It's supposed to be awful. We're supposed to do something about it, but in a... Again, an enlightened, a grown-up, informed way where we understand what that nervous system is trying to do, provide it what it needs, which is safety, but also provide it in a way where there's some freedom to start noticing, by the way, what's going on. And so, so uh, next question. I hope this is helpful, and if you want to type something in, I would love to know if you're still on the call, uh, if that's helpful, because... I, when I see a child and I work with a child, I can manage what I do to make it so the child gets to feel changes. And when we learn something new, it feels really good when it works, when it's harmonious. Children start laughing. They start giggling. They, not, not all the time, but mostly they get focused. They just get 
focused. They start paying attention and noticing what's happening to them. And, and so I can, I can generate that. The essentials is my way to try to do it everywhere, to do it with dressing them, with feeding them, with talk. When the child cries like that, you stop doing the thing that gets them to cry. Otherwise, they learn that they have no power. It's awful. So uh, we have another question here <clears throat> from Aaliyah Brooks. She says, I try to use as many essentials as I can with my 19-month-old son, Cohen. I very much try movement with attention with him, along with variation in movement. We're listening from Dallas also. Our biggest challenge with his movement is his nervousness and anxiety, which causes him to tense up, for example, when letting go if standing. Aha. Uh -huh. So if he tenses up when he lets go in standing, does he let go spontaneously or is he asked to let go? I want an answer. <laughs> so see if she answers. Okay. Yeah. It takes a second. We have a little yeah. delay here, but because... Again, all children can't stand up. Then they get to figure out how to pull themselves up. But they hold on and they uh, cruise sideways holding to furniture or to stuff. Or they go back to crawling and up and down, right? And then they let go of one hand. And then blah, blah, blah. And then they let go of both hands. And maybe they plop down. They don't get scared. They don't get scared because they self-regulate when they do it. The only time a child would get scared is if the child was made to stand up before, very often before they can get themselves up and down, which is the most important part, yes. safely. That means that they can plop down to the floor safely they, and, and that they choose when to do it because they feel internally that they have enough stability. Anybody put on pants today in the morning and try to lift one leg and put the other leg? And I did it kind of like still groggy and I went like, oh, and I'm used to being stable. So I went like, wait a minute, I've got to wake up my brain and get, and I had to take a second and then, and then I could just stand on one leg safely. We feel that. If we don't feel that internally, we won't be able to move at all. And that's robbed from a child that already has difficulties trying to make them do it, he should tense up because he knows that he can't, con he doesn't know the trajectory how to go back down. So this child has to be not encouraged to stand. If it's in my world, if I were to work with this child, I would do a lot of variations and a lot of filling in of many different variability of movement that would allow the child because to, to be able to do it easily. But so that's my answer. He shouldn't be doing it. I know it's this, but very frustrating because you guys probably are working on him doing it. Did we hear anything yeah, back? Yeah, she said in terms of like when it, does it happen, it, it is spontaneous from him, she says, most of the time. He should, she says, but he seems to be in flight or fight mode um, more often, even when trying things himself. Yeah, but, but the, the, what's his condition? And, and he how cruises, he cruises, pulls to stand, etc., of his own accord. Yeah, we have one. Yeah, so he, he cruises, pulls up to stand, etc. Okay, but was there a period where he was encouraged to do yeah. things beforehand? That's a question. Yeah. Um, 
we're going to have to draw to this stop. part yeah. of the, the uh, okay first of all come I back just actually, next before week. we do that yes next i just want to say we have had a couple of um comebacks from people that whose questions you answered uh, kavita said thank you it all makes sense and very helpful he makes more sounds with grandma and i believe this is this <laughs> because it comes more natural to her not to fix him <laughs> and uh, Karen. Great observation. Imitate your grandma, pretend you're her. <laughs> Karen, the, the grandma from uh, Dallas, <laughs> says this is helpful. She says even picking her up gets her super stiff. So I think that's been a, a and she says she gets super stiff even when being picked up. My granddaughter's legs are stiff also. She will not release her legs and she cannot roll. Well, well, of course, if the leg gets spastic, you can't roll because it's it's like it breaks on the rest of the body. Yeah. Okay, so we we have a, a bunch of other comments. We actually have a, a lot of comments or a few comments and questions from adults about themselves. So I think we need to do an episode. Um, okay, we will do maybe we'll look, next we'll, time. We're we'll going to look through all these comments and sort of like yeah. then sort of focus on on what's coming up here. Yeah, absolutely. And now. We're drawing this part of our morning to a close. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode, which was Subtlety, the fourth essential for positive brain change. And for your engagement. Absolutely. It was fantastic. Yeah. I find it so interesting. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Thank you for joining us on Neuro Movement Revolution with Anap and Yell. You will find all of our podcasts and additional resources on our website at www.anatbanielmethod.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We look forward to seeing you online for our next Neuro Movement Revolution.